0: Soulmate of Bob, can I say that? Is that is you can that, say that. Is that reasonable to say that? That's reasonable. Yeah, okay. So we've gone from Bob to Bob, anyway, and welcome to the program. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Jeff Schlemmer, of course, is uh, with us, as he sometimes is. He's not off, swanning off doing other things, but it's always nice to have Jeff here, too. Nice to see you. hey Guys, you. today, I, I wondered if we could, uh, because of the election, there's no point pretending it doesn't exist, although there are a lot of people who would wish it would go away, um, and, I, and I, I'd like to take advantage of having both of you two fellows here, and uh, to maybe do what we often do in the program, which is just have kind of a discussion that, that we're not worried about who's on the left, who's on the right, who's in the center. We're just trying to take a look at an issue out there. And I do want to talk about public education. Bob being a school board trustee, and I know you're often on the outs with many of your other trustees, and uh, it's not my purpose here necessarily to give you a platform to attack them, and I know you don't want to do that anyway, but just in, in a general sense, I wonder if maybe the three of us can take a look at this issue, because we keep hearing uh, the free press polls show people are concerned about education, concerned about education, concerned about education. And yet when I talk to individuals and, the, and, and I ask them the question, what's your priority? Healthcare and education. All right, what does that mean? Well, healthcare care, they know. They, they, wa- they don't want to wait in waiting rooms. They want to make sure the equipment's there. They don't want to wait too long for this test or that treatment. So they're, everybody's pretty clear on that. I say, what about education? Well, they're, they're, they're a lot less clear about what they want or don't want, or what they like and what they don't like. Bob, I'll ask you first, because being a trustee, people do talk to you about this. What's your sense, when people say that I'm concerned about education in Ontario, this is an election issue for me, what are they talking about? What do you think they're concerned about?
1: Well, it depends where they're coming from. If uh, you're a parent with a child in public education, it's usually very issue-oriented. Is there enough money to provide instrumental music for my class? is there enough uh, money for the uh, special education programs things of that nature very issue oriented if you ask the person on the street then they talk in generalities they uh, basically want to make sure that you know that the uh, basically the over- overall quality of education is is up to standards is competitive with uh, other jurisdictions you know are, are children learning what they need to know in a society um, is it too expensive? You know, are we paying too much, too little for education? So depends where you're coming from.
0: Jeff, you've got kids in the system. Uh, if I were to ask you, would you tell me that health care and education are, are preeminent in your mind in this election?
2: Well, I would say that they are one of the three things that are that are the key for me. The other one that I would add is, uh, is social uh, social policy, social assistance and all that stuff. Although I, I'm aware that under the polling it's showed as very low priority for people who's dropped off the scale. Um, but uh, th- there certainly are big concerns. I guess uh, from my perspective, we've talked about this many times on the program, I'm concerned about whether public education will remain a way of ensuring that our best and brightest uh, are the ones we invest uh, a lot of money in educating rather than having our, our wealthiest be the ones that, uh, that get the uh, post-secondary education, the best post-secondary education.
0: Are we kidding ourselves here? And for all you teachers listening out there, get your pencils and papers and write this down carefully. The following is not teacher bashing. The following is a discussion of an issue. Just want to make that clear. If we look at the education system today, and Bob you're very aware of this, um, a big chunk of what we spend goes to teacher salaries. Um, and, I mean, obviously that's the nature of the this, of this situation. They're the people who are doing the bulk of the work. Is it reasonable for us to expect that we can extract from the system today, given the number of teachers that we need, given the salary levels that they're at, and I'm not saying they're not worth the money, I'm not saying that for a moment, but given those two realities, is it unreasonable for us to expect that we can improve the quality of education without putting more money into it?
1: I think so. Um... It, it comes down to teaching methods in my in my mind, which is one of the re- first reasons I got involved in um, running for a trustee in the city of London four and a half years ago now um, first of all, let me just explain that you know i 'm a trustee and you keep mentioning that, but i 'm not here as a trustee exactly I'm, i don 't speak for the board exactly. and I yes. just speak for myself yeah. but um, yeah, we can improve uh, education, and I think that it comes down to methodology i mean there 's been a whole uh, public discussion for a number of years now over, for example, whole language versus phonics, child-centered learning versus direct instruction. There's a number of uh, institutions that do a lot of research on what is the best method to instruct children, uh, what is the best best method to uh, test children, and uh, it's just a matter of implementing what uh, is scientifically proven to be the best method
0: except that what was scientifically proven last week has been disproven this week
1: there's a lot of politics involved and even though you may have something scientifically proven quote unquote you have a lot of uh political involvement in uh, how how those outcomes uh, are implemented or whether or not they're implemented or not depends on um the philosophy behind some of the uh some of the movements out there, like child-centered learning, sounds great, very emotional, very fuzzy, uh, warm, fuzzy-type feelings, but um, is it, is it uh, the best system to use? You know, those kinds of things. There's lots of politics involved, and you're right. One moment you might say that uh, whole language is best, and the next moment it sounds as if phonics is best. What do you do? So. Uh,
0: Jeff, it, when we look at that issue, the same question or, or the same area that i asked Bob about, in terms of the, of the costing, do you believe that we can improve the quality of education without investing more money into it, because it seems to be that's the stonewall that the government has run up against. They said if we're going to if we're going to meet our budget, which is X millions of dollars, um, then we're going to have to cut this, this, or this, this, or this, this, or this, this. Uh, teachers have, restri- have resisted having their salaries cut, and I would say quite rightly so. Um, but do you think? Are we being unrealistic to expect that we can fix this system without putting more money into it, given the uh, basically fixed costs we have to deal with? Well, I guess uh, there are all kinds of questions that, that come out of that. One of the ones that I,
2: I wonder about from time to time, you mentioned at the start uh, that, that people uh, have a sense that things may be going broadly okay for their kid but, broad, but but, that the system that they say is broken and all this stuff I really I really sort of wonder about that because I look at the, the things that my kids are taking in school and uh, I think the things that they're taking at each grade level are a lot more advanced than the things that I was taking at that grade level. There are much higher expectations of them in terms of the amount of homework that they're doing, uh, the math that my kids are taking. I'm just totally lost. I can't begin to help them. Uh, you know, my, my son is taking Shakespeare in, in English right now difficult stuff, we took that Uh, but I don't see him as getting a worse education than I did as far as that goes Uh, now there have been substantial problems with grammar uh, and and I don't know what you do about that exactly, but uh, generally it seems to me that the expectations for kids nowadays are a lot higher, that the educational level they come out with, the expertise they come out with is higher. I don't know that our system is broken. I, I think it is a pretty darn good system, particularly when you compare it to, uh, to other jurisdictions around the world. Can it be made better? I think so. Um, one thing that I was really skeptical about was that I, I could swear that I recall in the last election that the objective uh, of the Harris reforms was to say a billion dollars out of it that it was that we can come in cut out the slack in the system as i was talking to a friend of mine the other day she said uh, the only thing wrong with the system is the fat bloated administrations uh, and that that was sort of the the, the idea of the last election uh, but when i hear about taking a billion dollars out of it i fear can we maintain the system that we have mm-hmm. and yet take a billion out and i think that if we could at the time i don't think we can continue to do that and i think that there is an element of you get what you pay for uh and you know talk about rolling back salaries this is a time people have to remember where our economy is booming like crazy like the economy has been going wild but the last three years, with the boomerang of the American economy, so these are not the worst of times that we had in the early 90s. These are the high times, and to talk about rolling back people's salaries during those times, to me, seems uh, pretty unrealistic.
0: We have a, a situation in, in in our society where we have a, a people of a certain political bent. Uh, the NDP, not to put too fine a point on in Ontario, is campaigning right now, basically on another variation of their tax the rich strategy. That if we only made The rich and the corporations pay, quote, their fair share. We'd all live in utopia, Um, and I think most people who look at that recognize that it's just not that simple. But Jeff, you just alluded a moment or two ago to your friend saying about the bloated bureaucracy. We hear this too. This is because this is kind of a shibboleth. This is kind of something we take for granted, taken as a given. That yes, the bureaucracies are all bloated and fat in any any area of the public service, and I think most people are more than willing to accept that, more more than willing to believe that. If we look at education. Are we uh, are we misdirecting our efforts by suggesting or by saying, as many people do, that, well, if we just fix that, if we just fired three-quarters of the superintendents and half the administrators, and, and uh, you know, instead of having them in a huge building on Dundas, we put them in a couple of offices downtown, and they could probably do the same amount of useful work. Are we kidding ourselves when we look in that direction, Bob? I mean, or is that an area where we should be pursuing change?
1: you're kidding yourself. You're going to have uh, problems with education, uh, political debates, uh, ideological confrontations with public education forever, as long as you have public education. By definition, it is a state-run institution. Uh, The government is directly involved, not only in funding it, but in running it, developing the curriculum, Mm -hmm. uh, making lists of what books the children can or cannot uh, use in their classrooms. That kind of government involvement in a in an institution like education is always and always, always will, uh, will uh, cause problems and, and debate and arguments and there's always be factions. Is it
0: good though? Is that is it healthy that we have those debates?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I think what would be more healthy would be uh, to be able to choose. And I think this is perhaps where the left-right center is going to come into this mm-hmm. argument. Um, as a school trustee, it may sound a little odd, but I believe people uh, should have a choice in where they send their children to school and uh, should have a choice, as taxpayers, what school they uh, direct their taxes to. And I think that kind of competition, that kind of choice, eliminates or virtually eliminates all these debates because if you, for example, want your child taught under some sort of uh, public uh, institution where there's uh, child-centered learning, uh, where there's whole language, that kind of a, a thing, then fine, you're, you're more than, more than um, you know, I'm more than happy to allow you to do that um, but just let me put my child in, or s- somebody else, put their child in a school sit- system or setting where they think that their child is getting the best uh, education, whether it's, whether it's whole language or phonics or, or a Christian school or uh, some other uh, school where some other methodology is used to teach their children. They should be able to have that choice, and I think that would eliminate or virtually eliminate the debate.
0: We're gonna come back and continue our discussion, if not yet a debate, on left, right, and center. Uh, Robert Vaughn is with us, and Jeff Schlemmer, and you are listening to Jim Chapman on 1290 CJBK. Robert Vaughn and Jeffrey Schlemmer with us on left, right, and center, and uh, Bob was just talking about, uh, about choice in the system. Jeff, I wanna ask you, because you've commented on this before, um, but let me make a statement first, because it's my show, I get to do that. <laughs> I believe that Bob's right. I think that that, that model of having choice for people uh, as to where you want your kid educated and how, under an some there has to be some kind of an umbrella of standards and so on, um, or in some ways the education becomes relatively less meaningful. But if we were to do that, or, or back up, Chapman, why why can't we do that? Why don't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that tomorrow? Uh, no prompting the uh, the left
2: winger here. Uh, well, the first thing is that uh, that I think that choice is not inherently a bad thing, and uh, as Bob mentioned. Nobody seems to know what the best way is to teach a child and perhaps there isn't a best way broadly, because children are individuals. Uh, what may work for one doesn't work for the other. One may need military academy, and the other may need sort of a uh, touchy-feely mm-hmm. kind of upbringing. Uh, I think that the idea of choice is one that people would generally not oppose, and I don't think anybody would like to think of the schools as being a, an assembly line that just churns out the same product, and you go in one end, and you come out the other, and everybody gets exactly the same thing. Um, and in fact, in our schools, we have choice to some extent right now. We've got uh, different programs that, that have come along over the years. The French Immersion Program, for instance, is, uh, was created in the public system and if you want to put your kids in French immersion you could do that and in fact I did do that um, Apple program where you have more parent involved teaching uh, the school that does that uh, you got Pearson School for the Arts if you if your kid is artistically inclined and, and can qualify so there are some choices within the system but I am actually intrigued by what Bob said with the idea of having a school that would be a um, maybe a three hours type of school more traditional uh, based school and maybe another one that's more of experimental and, and, and uh, you know, into into that that kind of thing. Um, I think Bob may have mentioned off air that it's almost uh, there's a political uh, orient or aspect to that. That there are there are educational philosophies that are more right wingish and ones that are left wingish. And why shouldn't you have a choice in in going to the different schools? I think that wouldn't be a bad thing. I think that the the difficulty would be that there would be suspicion or skepticism on the part of some people that uh, that uh, it would be a way of again benefiting the wealthier schools and that the the uh, schools in the in the um, poorer areas of town would be underfunded uh, so I think that that's one of the, the problems whenever you talk about change you think of well who's proposing the change and can I trust them to deal with me fairly and I think if you could persuade people in in those schools that yeah no this isn't gonna this isn't going to be a way of sucking money out of your school, that you will get exactly the same funding as every other school going, but you can have a slightly different program. One that concentrates on religions, for instance, I think would be an interesting way to go, and maybe not one that says it's a Christian school or whatever, but a school that talks about religions
0: broadly. Bob, would it be unfair to leave the school funding in place and say, okay, we're going to continue to collect taxes for education, but we're going to capitize it, if that's a word, and and whatever your school is, whatever your criteria are, provided you meet some certain... I, there's got to be some kind of fundamental underlying criteria I think that have to be met across the system, but providing you do that, you're going to get your $7,000 per student, and and that's where we go. Would that work?
1: I think it's a step in the right direction. Any any step towards choice, I think, is, is a good step. Um, I, I question, actually, our entire system of providing education. I, I think that uh, it's very much like, uh, for example, transportation. Rather than um, you look out there in transportation, you figure... Um, and I'm speaking specifically of, say, trains now. Okay, so I can't afford a train ticket. So what does the government do? They, they don't subsidize my ticket. They buy the whole railway company. Mm-hmm. You know, they set up a Via Rail. They set up, a, you know, a Go, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that they look at things in, in such a, a very large way because we're the government. We should be able to provide this kind of a thing. And I think the same sort of perspective can be applied to education and even health care. If a, if a person cannot... Um, Has special needs or uh, special financial needs or special educational needs and they cannot get those needs met and we as a society think that they should be able to. Mm -hmm. Why all of a sudden do we turn around and limit everybody's choices and take over the entire system and not only fund it but run it and tell teachers how to teach and tell... um, um, administrators how to administrate and, and have politicians in the middle of it all, why do we do that rather than say, okay, you can't afford education, you have a special needs child, we'll subsidize that or we'll help you. As a society, we'll help you individually uh, achieve what you need to achieve. I think that's, a, that's the way to go.
0: Well, speaking of going, i would have you, gentlemen, put your headphones on and we will go to the phones now where Robert has been waiting. Hi, Robert.
3: Good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, as far as education uh, goes I, I think that uh, what the, what the government is doing with education is is basically just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic mm-hmm. um, basically with you know their, their tend towards uh, the centralization and the growth of the education bureaucracy um, you know for example uh, a month ago they came out in the free press with all those people making over a hundred thousand dollars that were on the government payroll Yep. You know, like, why, if everything is being run out of Toronto, why do we need 14 superintendents in London who are basically just pushing paper, uh, all making over $100,000 a year? I mean, there's a lot of people that are benefiting from from this government-run education system. If, for example, in that same list, there was 157 professors, 157, I just counted them, uh, all making over $100,000 a year. Some of them are only assistant professors, are making $177,000 a year for for basically lecturing uh, a, for a seven-month year. I mean, here's, a, here's somebody that's just a lecturer or an assistant professor at the university uh, making more than the premier of the province who's running the whole province.
0: But you could make the argument that these people uh, are, arguably are the best and brightest among us and they're, they are charged with transferring the, uh, the, the intellectual capital of our society from one generation to the next. Surely that's an important job and should be well paid.
3: Well, is it more important than the premier's job is running the whole and province? And so, and Why should they be paid more than the premier of the province? Well, I don't
0: know if the premier is the right comparison,
2: though, and I can talk about the law school because I teach up there, and uh, it's interesting that uh, the convention is that if you're a professor, then you're not doing it for the money because anybody who has equivalent academic qualifications who's in the private sector will be making three or four times more money than what they are. That's baloney. Well, it's true. That's the way it works, and Man, I'll tell you in not, law that's exactly how it works. Well, all I can tell you is that that's what happens in law, that's what happens in medicine, That's what happens. In in business, that's what happens in economics, any of those, any of those faculties, dentistry, they're all, in all of those ones, you you may not understand how much money people are making in the private sector right now, but that's how it works.
3: Oh, I understand because I am in the private sector myself, and I know that, you know, I employ over 60 people and work work 52 weeks a year and i make a, about a third of what these people do for working seven months of the year standing up in front of a class lecturing um basically from, robert, from a textbook yeah. that, that any of the students could read themselves but
0: robert in in all fairness you're comparing apples and oranges here do you Maybe. have do you have the qualifications to go and be a university professor well, I'm about halfway there, but... Yeah, but, but I, I think that's the point. You know, Jeff was saying that these guys, and I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but Jeff was saying that these guys, in, given their given their experience and their credentials and so on and so on, would make a lot more in the private sector. The fact that you no, don't make... I, the... No, I no, wait, no, wait wait, 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 no, wait a minute. Jim? Wait a minute. Okay. The fact that you don't make that much, or I don't make that much, doesn't mean that they couldn't make that much.
3: No, I know, but I I went to university for four years too, and I know there's a lot of incompetent people up there that that couldn't uh, yeah. that could make it in the private but sector. But would we
0: be better off if we paid them half of what we paid them? Would it make any difference?
3: Uh, well, we'd save a lot of a lot of taxpayer dollars. That's what I'm, you know that's what I'm that's what I'm concerned about and and the other thing that uh, uh that I'm concerned about is is we're paying all these people all this money and yet you know there's there's um, uh no difference in the co- in the quality of the, of the people coming out of the schools there are people people are still complaining that the, you know we have that everyone passes every course and that uh, we you know basically we're graduating people that are illiterate in some cases um people that have no respect for for uh for their uh teachers or their peers and 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 come out of schools with little or no discipline um
0: I, and I these are the asked, kind of complaints that people make
3: uh, uh, regularly
0: yeah Rob, uh, jeff's got a question for him sure. do, do you have
2: kids in school right now yes and has that been your experience that they're generally disrespectful and and illiterate and that kind of thing
3: well my boy's only in grade one so <laughs> but i i know that in my own in my own case i i have uh two brothers that went all through the, the school system, and they can't even write a letter uh, without making a dozen spelling mis- and, and and grammar mistakes, they, and, and these they went through the system uh, um, and passed every grade, and as far as I'm concerned, they, they shouldn't have even passed. How, they shouldn't have graduated, yeah, other yet than they do, other and this has been going on for years and years yeah, and
0: years. Other than their spelling and grammar, how's their education? Because that's a sore point with a lot of people, and I'm with you on that. But other than that, how's their, how was your education? Do you think you're a reasonably educated man
3: well I'm a a university graduate and uh, but I can tell you that uh, you know I I myself I thought university was a joke and I've got an honors BA
2: courses you were taking. I was reading an article last week about how uh, Western graduates graduating from our law school right now are being snapped up by uh, by Wall Street firms in New York, and that they're starting at $150,000 US a year. And I think that, that that's some indication that Americans at least seem to think that our education is pretty good; that they're willing to pay that kind of money right out of right out of university.
0: And well, uh, that's
3: because the American economy is booming so much; they, they need people from from anywhere and everywhere just just to fill the the, the job demand. But
2: is it because Western grads are somewhat valued or are they just so desperate that they're absolutely scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> coming and paying them one hundred and fifty thousand US?
3: Right. Well I can't answer that. Yeah. But i I can I can tell you though what the sad thing about the comment you just made is that we're paying for all these edu- for these for these people to be educated and the because of our tax situation, we have a huge brain drain going to the U.S. All our be- best and brightest graduates are leaving this country.
0: Well, in fact, well, going even a lot to the of U.S. Our, and we're students
3: and paid twice as much as they could here.
0: Yeah, even a lot of our students are now being lured away by American schools, much more than before.
2: Well, well I was reading an article in Financial Post a couple weeks ago, and the article was entitled "The Brain Gain," and what they were doing
0: was analyzing sort
2: of what's really happening as far as uh, the most highly paid people. And what they find is that there's about an equal number coming into Canada each year as are leaving. Um, but you're right, one of the things that we haven't talked about that I would be interested in talking about is uh, whether if somebody does go through a government-funded education in Canada and chooses to leave right away, whether well, they should have to pay back some of that money.
0: Robert, like, our,
3: like our doctors and nurses who are, who are yeah. flocking south. Mm,
0: yeah. Robert, I appreciate your call, So You've prompted a lot of interesting thoughts today. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. 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 We're going to pause for a second. We're going to come back and talk about Jeff's point there. I want to see what Bob thinks about that, too. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290CJBK. Uh, Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer is here. An interesting topic came up just before we broke for those spots there, and I want to come back to it just for a second. Um, and Jeff and I and Bob were talking off the air about this too, about the cost of education and, and getting an education, whether people who get an education in this country should be allowed to leave the country um, without, you know, making some recompense to us for having educated them. And it all comes back to the, to the old argument about who's paying for education and why. And uh, I want to kind of jump past the should we pay for our own education argument and go to just where the three of us were just before we came back here, which is this idea that maybe we're looking at the wrong end of that equation. If we say that it costs you $100,000 to get a university degree so you can get a job and the students are, are crying about that and people are saying, we should, you know, the debt load's too big, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we can argue about that. But it seems to me there's an underlying reality here. And that reality is that it does cost that much to educate them. Maybe we're looking at the wrong end of the equation. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't be spending a hundred thousand dollars to educate somebody to be a teacher. Maybe we don't need to do that. Now, Jeffrey, you've got some involvement in uh, at Western, at least with the law school. Uh, could we be teaching these people at, at, at less expense? We've got beautiful grounds and wonderful buildings and high-paid professors and yada 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 yada. Maybe what we really need is high-paid high, high paid professors, uh, you know, sitting in a warehouse somewhere. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging the professors, but, you know, are we looking at the wrong end of this equation? Instead of saying, well, gee, we've got to deal with this reality, these kids coming out of school with these, few, with the, you know, these huge loans to pay for the education, maybe we should be looking for ways to make the education less expensive. Well,
2: maybe. Uh, and from my end of it, uh, my concern comes back to universality, that I don't want to have a system where where our best and brightest can never become our leaders because they can't afford the education and that's a concern that I have and uh, I think about yeah Western's a beautiful campus they spend a lot of money in the buildings and stuff up there Uh, I'm sure they could build them a lot cheaper they could have Quonset huts and have people in them and stuff Um, Maybe that's a way to go, or maybe somebody should try that alternative, and it probably be, would be quite popular. Uh, there, there is sort of a, an irony, uh, I guess, in the sense that students historically live in extremely basic housing while they're going to school, and yet they're going to these wonderful edifices to be educated. Mm-hmm. And and it reminded me of something that had come up earlier, and that was uh, this question of bloated bureaucracy. And I think about how one of the conventional wisdoms that arose within the uh, the boards of education was that their buildings were too fancy, that they didn't do themselves any favors because they built these buildings that just were in people. Faces mm-hmm. saying this is my money spent on this, and I don't see any return for that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the cost of teachers and professors, whether you can save money there, I you, you may know what I get paid for teaching up there. I get paid nothing, zero, and you can't go that much lower than that. I would suggest, um, you know, and they've got about 30 of us up there who are teaching at the law school for free, um, you know, and I'd suggest they're looking for cost savings in those kinds of ways. Um, but again. You can't go too much lower than that. Uh, you have to have some full-time pro- profs there. I would suggest, uh, you know, the guys who are who are there on site all the
0: time. Well, there must be lots of them if it costs uh, dozens of, of thousands of dollars a year, the actual cost for each student to go through. Because even what they're having to pay back now is not the true cost of their education.
2: That's right. It's still subsidized. Uh, and I guess, from my end of it, the other thing that I talked about was that I don't necessarily have a problem with the idea that students should take a much larger responsibility for the cost of their education. But I'm concerned about our loan system not having been adapted yet to to make that Mm -hmm. practical Mm -hmm. so for instance one of the things i mentioned right now is that i believe that student loans have to be paid back within 10 years and that's at a time when people are starting their lives they're getting married they're getting kids they're getting mortgages and all that stuff i don't think 10 10 years is an arbitrary number there's no magic to that i think that why not make it 20 years or 30 years if you're going to get your money back over the course of a lifetime uh anyway from them if you and you're going to ask them to pay a lot more than i paid when i went through university at the very least we should maybe cut them some slack on giving them longer to pay uh, but I also think that there should be a deal that if it is the case you're going to take a, a government funded or subsidized education in Canada and then scoot off to, um, to the United States or to Europe or whatever that uh, you should be paying that back uh, uh, the full amount well, that there should be a much more larger contribution, and I haven't thought about whether it should be the full amount or not. Um, but I think that there's something unseemly about the idea that they that they take the advantage of, of a society where we traditionally have lower um, incomes um, because we do subsidize a lot of these institutions like school and so on. So they take advantage of the government-funded education, but then they're not willing to stick around and pay back the society. Part of the rationale for having a government-funded education is that we as a society benefit by their education. We have doctors and so on. You're know, not going to say lawyers, because nobody would ever suggest we benefit from having them around.
1: You know, that's an interesting uh, point, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, except when it comes to choice. You know, if you have a choice whether or not you can uh, get a government loan to further your education, then I don't necessarily have a problem with the government putting stipulations on that, that yes, you will have to remain in the country and do, do this or that, or mm-hmm. um, in some way work off your, um, your loan. Um, But if you're talking about the fact that we now have a a government monopoly in education uh, when it comes to, for example, public education, elementary, secondary, which is, it's a virtual monopoly, Mm -hmm. you know, however you want to cut it, then no, um, I don't think that the state has any right to tell you what you can or cannot do with your education once you graduate, because first of all, you really did not have a choice as a parent where you're going to send your kids unless you're rich. If you're rich, you can send them wherever you like, and perhaps you can get away from the government uh, telling you how your children should and should not do after that. But if you're like me and not rich, then you are forced into uh, an education system where I don't think the state should be getting involved in.
2: But whether it was whether it's a you know publicly funded or privately funded, it's going to have a cost associated with it. And and to me again, to say that uh, I, I would you know for the sake of argument, I'm willing to argue anything. I'm a lawyer, but uh, I would argue that perhaps we shouldn't be making students pay as much as they are now. I see that tuitions have gone up towards 10000 ten thousand a year now for medical school, the business school twenty thousand a year. I would argue that that's a bad thing. But having said that. Uh, Wherever you get your education, it's going to cost you something, You know, whether it's in a private uh, setting or a public setting. And again, to expect that you should be paying back something and taking responsibility for
0: that, uh, it is, maybe the time has come for that. Okay, hey, Let's go to the phones again, where um, Martha is with Oh, Oh, Martha, I'm sorry. I pushed the wrong button. Martha, call us right back, and I'll put you right on. I'm sorry about that. It's hard to get good button. help. All I- well, those lights are flashing <laughs> here. I'm out of control. We'll be right back. Martha, call us right back. We'll put you right on the air. Ryan, would you push the button for Martha? I'm afraid to touch this thing now. You want me to hit it? Get get Martha on the air. Hello, Martha.
4: Yes, hello. Hi. Thank you. I'm I'm from London, and I just went through the selection process in London and the school, Lester B. Pearson. Yes. And I want to ask you why there isn't more funding to the school to get more spaces, because I think it's frustrated for us as a parents yes, just to get 52 out of 300 kids get. To get into the school every year, and uh, just not very many people are concerned about it That's education. and that's
0: exactly why there's not more funding because most people don't care about it. Most people, and I'm I'm speaking from having talked to lots of people about it. A whole lot of people looked at as at that as an elitist program, and they say, why should we spend our extra money for that?
4: Well, this government, uh, they they were even trying to close it. I want to mm-hmm. I want to know what we can do as a parents to get more spaces there because. It's a very good school, and if they're so worried about education, they should be paying more attention to those schools. You
1: know know what Pearson School for the Arts is? It's a charter school. That's what that Mm -hmm. is, and I think that Once the government starts to realize that charter schools have a role to play in society, then perhaps uh, you'll see more Pearson School for the Arts.
0: But the government realization will come on the heels of a public realization, I think.
1: Yeah, once the public starts asking for charter schools and the Pearson School for the Arts parents go out there and say, look, we've got a product here we want to see duplicated in other parts of the valley, then then, yeah, the government will listen.
0: Martha, I think that's exactly the answer you ask. How can we do or what can we do? You have to convince the people that this is a worthy thing to do. Never mind the politicians. Politicians won't do anything until the people demand it. So you have to do exactly what you've done today, which is to talk to people, let them know about the value you see there, and if, uh, quite simply, in its most simplest form, if you get enough people who believe you're right, the government will follow and the funding will be there.
4: Well, I have written a letter to the now to the, to Mr. Harris and to other people from yeah. the Liberal yeah. Party, and then I am, I am asking them, And I would like to ask everybody to support me, too. Just give me a call and I would get these signatures because I don't want to go alone because I know there is lots of consent Well, that's what you need to do, Martha.
0: That's what you you need. I mean, writing the politicians is great, and I encourage that. Let them know how you feel. But one letter or 100 letters isn't going to make the difference. 10,000 letters, 50,000, 100,000 letters will. You can change government policy then.
4: Well, 10,000 is... Well, well, I'm going to keep working. That's what it's going to take. Yes. Martha, thanks for the call today. Yes, you're welcome. Take Bye-bye.
0: Care. Bye-bye.
1: You know, Jim, isn't it isn't it odd that we get ourselves into a situation where in order to find the school that you want to send your chil- children to, you've got the lobby of the government? Mm. What does that say about our society when you not, uh, you don't have the choice so freely to go uh, send your kids to a school that you like, that you have to actually write a letter to the premier or to the ministry to be able to do that? I mean, well,
0: And as Martha pointed out, too, there are auditions for the
1: school. There are.
0: Right, And, I mean, we talk about wanting wanting universality. Here's a situation where we can't provide universality because we don't have the funding for it, which is kind of run counter to the whole other argument, the rest of the argument, which is that, we, you know, we've got the, what, the universality is what drives the funding and what allows the funding.
2: Although to suggest that uh, people have to write letters to go to a particular school, I don't, and I don't think Bob's suggesting this, but uh, from my perspective, it doesn't mean that the other schools are any the less. It's a particular niche that uh, some people are interested in. I I would never send my kids to
0: Pearson. The other schools are the less in that particular niche.
2: Which is a niche that doesn't interest me, for instance, like it would never occur to me to send my kids to Pearson, because uh, that's not what they were interested in. They are mm-hmm. interested in sports and other things. And, and informally in London, there is some of that, I guess, subject to the capacity of the schools. You can send your kid to a different school if they have capacity available, but the problem at Pearson
1: is that uh, demand may exceed the supply, I guess. And which would not happen in a free market in education.
0: Six four three twelve ninety is the telephone number. Star 1290 on the Cantel. Still time for you to join our discussion. They were talking kind of general terms about education and what might or should or could or would happen in this province. The the, the Tories have ind- indicated little or no interest in, in expanding charter schools or in e- indeed any of the other education alternative models. The NDP haven't indicated their interest. The Liberals haven't indicated their interest. Am I right, do you think, in what I said to Martha, that, that until this is driven by the public, we're not going to see a, a... The politicians are simply not going to do it. There's too much to lose by them going on the limb for education. Jeff, did you mind? Well, that? Well, I'm opposed
2: to charter schools <laughs> right off the bat, so we're talking about choice, but I understand a charter school to be a private school. Uh, it's not. It's oh. still
1: a public school. It just has a, a, a separate agreement whereby it can differ from what the ministries... Uh, standard curriculum is or uh, not only curriculum but even dress codes things of that nature if the community have asked for it they can get a uh, basically is like an exemption it's still publicly funded and anybody who wants to go to it can as far as i understand it's not a private school by any stretch of the imagination.
2: So it may just be a, a, a step on a continuum then as to where you go. I was reading mm-hmm. a week or two ago about a school in uh, Woodstock, I believe, in the Catholic system, a high school there where they, they the school, students are forced to wear uniforms and, and that kind of stuff. It sounds like they've taken a step tw- away from the sort of um, general stream, I guess, uh, and they say that they're much more disciplined there and all that stuff, more of, more of what I tradi- traditionally associate as looking like a private school. The, the u- uniforms they wear are, are sort of preppy polo shirts and things. Within the public system, and it sounds like there's some movement in that direction. That uh, if a charter school is is just further in that direction, maybe I would misunderstand what they are. Uh, the concern that I've had historically has been, again, that it's a way of of uh, reducing the standards of the other schools by by concentrating on particular schools and saying, okay, well, this school will get enriched funding. It's going to get uh, get the, the advantages. So we'll why would everybody a, pri- else why a private
0: school? Why would a private school get enriched funding from the government?
2: Well, again. This comes back to uh, to what Bob was saying, and I believe what uh, what our other Bob has talked about over time, which is that the government would continue to fund people to go to these schools, because if they don't, then only wealthy people will go to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, again, by doing that, the concern is that if you have elite schools, can they operate on the same budgets as the schools in the inner cities? Are they prepared to do that, or is this a way of sucking the money out of the poorer schools to favour those elite schools? That's a concern that I have.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm always disturbed by whenever, whenever there's a choice involved, all of a sudden it's polarized into elite and the rest of us you know, a choice doesn't necessarily have to be uh, classified as or labeled elite. Of course. If somebody wants to be wearing a uniform or wants their children to be wearing a uniform, does that make it elite? I don't think so. Do, if they well, want not automatically, their children
2: no. This school looked awfully elite to me. The, they, the uniforms were not designed to be uniforms yeah. that look like the way kids dress. They, were, they look like preppies. They, you know, They were forced to look like preppies. That concerns me. Oh, yeah. I don't like
0: that look. <laughs> would you feel better if they were all forced to dress like rappers, at least? But there was some continuity of the Yeah, I think clothing. that would be a lot better, actually. I
2: mm-hmm. would prefer that. Because it, again, to, to force people to dress in a way that's associated with a particular uh, uh, elite. Uh, Preppies consider themselves elite. It's not that I call them elite. They think of themselves as elite. So these people are forced to dress like people who think of themselves as elite. That, that to me, gets my, my anti, or my uh, sort of opposite snobbery going. You're
0: egalitarianism. So uh, I want to come back to what you said a moment or two ago, though, about, about worrying about the funding for the inner-city schools or whatever. If the government was funding each student this, uh, with the same amount of dollars through a voucher or whoever they did that, and this is hypothesizing, but if they did that, and if there were programs in place, uh, as I think Bob mentioned earlier, to, to help people deal with people who, for whom that wasn't enough to, to get the, what their children needed, special needs kids, so there's extra funding available for them, I fail to understand why a, an inner-city school or any other school in any particular geographic location would be at any disadvantage. It seems to me the only school that we disadvantage is a school that doesn't provide the quality of education that the parents want well and again i what bob was
2: talking about earlier the idea that there are all kinds of different theories about how you should best teach your kids and that you should have a choice between those different theories i find that very appealing i think that that's a mm-hmm. great idea but there is the suspicion that I, and cynicism that i that i've mentioned which is that some of us think of private schools historically as being um schools for
1: the elite and so our, you're our cha- concern you're
0: is shame to history then you, can't break, it, you can't break free from the old paradigms. Those who ignore history are doomed to relive Jeff. You can't break free from the old paradigms, Jeff, come on.
1: You know, there's a problem with offering a, a change, and that is that you, you, you come up with fears that stand in the way of making the change when you should be looking at them uh, you should be looking at those fears as how do we get around them how do we solve those problems oh sure and I agree rather than throw out the entire notion of having choice in education well exactly and uh, and from my end of it exactly it's the same thing that if you can
2: persuade the public that this is not about uh, about uh, making the rich rich and the poor poor it's not about impoverishing inner city schools then great and and there probably are ways to give those assurances but we've seen in the last four years in Ontario good God you talk about fearing change I didn't used to fear change I love change I thought it was great but what I find now is that whenever they talk about a change, they never tell you what it's really ab- about, what it's really for. When they talk about re- reforming the uh, the uh, health system, they don't. They'll tell you it's about making it's better. They'll tell you it's about making waiting lists shorter. They'll tell you about it's about getting people into emergencies quicker. You find out four years later, no, it's about saving tax dollars, and that your waiting list will be a lot longer, that your emergency list will be a lot longer, and so on. So it's so like fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We, we learn these lessons as we go along, and say we're, we're we have a healthy suspicion of these things but but bob you're right if there are ways to assure people that this isn't going to happen in ways that they'll genuinely believe then change is good
0: god it. <laughs> well, on that cheery note we pause for just a second well it's been very interesting for me today and uh, i want to thank robert Vaughn for coming by today yes. bob metz of course is off campaigning and are you coming back next week is that the plan or do you know well
1: so far i think i might be back next week okay now.
0: good there are more things i want to cover on this issue and there'll be lots of other issues too and we want to remind you that if there's something you'd like to have discussed whether you're looking for uh, uh, put up your Dukes and go at it from the left and the right, or whether you're just looking for kind of a more general conversation like we had today, any kind of idea is always welcome here. We'd like to know what you think is important out there, the topics you'd like to have discussed, and, of course, the lines are always open, too. So if there's something you'd like to talk about, a good way to set that up is drop us a line and say, I'd like to uh, hear your opinions on this particular topic, and then during the program, you're always free to call in and join us. So it works very easily, and we think rather well. Uh, My thanks to Bob and my thanks to Jeff. It's always a pleasure. And let me remind you that coming up on Ask the Experts today, just a half an hour from now, now, we've got uh, uh, Chris Cahill and, uh, and Rob Sinden from Financial Strategies Group. They are our financial guys, and they'll be by to answer all your questions. We've got some stuff in the mailbag, but we're always looking for your calls, too. And, of course, you can win that wonderful prize this week each and every day, each and every week, rather we give away a prize and ask the experts of a Lunch for Four at the beautiful Pinecroft Inn and Limousine Transportation to and from... You qualified just by calling in with a question or comment to ask the experts. On tomorrow's program, uh, do I know what we have tomorrow? Yes, I do. We've got, oh, my old buddy John Wade's coming in, the dog trainer, to talk about some of the tricks of the trade there. Uh, we are also going to uh, talk about the folks from Over 55. Al Harrington drops by again. And Les Whittington, his latest book called The Banks. And boy, I tell you, this will open your eyes about what's going on in Canada's banking industry. All of that and a lot more on the next edition of Talk of the Town. So for Jeff, and for Bob and Kathleen and Ryan and all the people here at 1290 CJBK. It's Jim saying take care of each other, mind how you go, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.